Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Sustainable Director podcast. I'm your host, Ellis Hall. I'm a manager at Achilles and at Achilles we help build sustainable supply chains, working with organisations to help mitigate risk and gain transparency of what happens and what goes on at every point in their supply chain. I'm also the ambassador for the Institute of Directors for the North Yorkshire branch where I focus on sustainability and as in my commitment, I'm all about bringing you a podcast, a podcast to talk with businesses, talk with entrepreneurs, to talk with leaders, to understand more about sustainability, to understand more about the practices that they take in their business to ensure that their products or services are as sustainable as possible. And this is a learning curve. It's a learning curve for me. It's a learning curve, hopefully, for you. And my aim is to bring you new insights, new information and ways in which you can make your business better. We've spoken to many organisations throughout this series and although I've had a little bit of time away, I'm now back at it. Speaking with Russ and Gemma Wakeman in this episode, this episode is all about building a business from the ground up with the right incentives in place and the right taxes, let's say, on your organisation to ensure that you do everything that you can to mitigate carbon during every part of your processes or your value chain. So I'm not going to talk too much about what they do. Russ and Gemma are going to explain and they're going to explain why they do this and how they're doing it. And for them, it's not a competitive advantage. This is a blueprint. They want other businesses to do what they're doing because they know that there's no other option. So without further ado, let's bring Russ and Gemma into the conversation. Perfect. So thank you both for joining Russ, Gemma. It's a pleasure to speak with you again. So yeah, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having us. Indeed. Thanks for having us. Absolute pleasure. So I was introduced to you by another employer colleague at the Institute of Directors and they shared your website and told me about what you were doing. And when I started reading about what you're doing on your website, I was fascinated about how much you've integrated sustainability into your organisation. So before we get into that, just give a bit of an overview about what you two actually do for the listeners. So Two Drifters Distillery is a rum distillery that produces rum from scratch. So we start with the raw materials, which in our case is molasses derived from sugarcane, and we turn that into delicious rums here in our distillery in Exeter, so just in the southwest. Um, and yeah. and why rum? Why 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 rum? Of of all things, you both kind of gone into it together as husband and wife. Why rum then? It was always and will always be rum. Uh, we're not doing it because we get told a lot rum's the new gin or rum's going to follow the gin boom. We were doing this long before that. We adore rum. Our first date was rum tasting a long time ago. We went to St Lucia on our honeymoon mainly because of rum. Every special occasion there is a rum cocktail beside us. Rum's um, been kind of a constant you know, theme in, in, <laughs> yes. in our lives and it, you know, before it I, used to be. Before I met Russ, you were buying a different rum every paycheck, weren't you? Yeah. And then when I met Russ, he introduced me to rum and it's just such a fantastic spirit that uh, is just, yeah, centre of our lives and will always be rum. Yeah. Well. I'm not, I'm not necessarily rum, as, as Russ and I spoke about this previously, but I am coffee, so I can understand like the passion that you probably have for a drink or trying something new, so I can see why um, you'd want to go into this. And 
I looked at your website originally, and one, it's a beautiful looking product as well, you know, which you. absolutely helps. Um, I don't know how it tastes, but I will certainly have to try it over Christmas. But what I did notice was the amount of work that you're putting in to ensure that this rum is the most sustainable rum effectively in the world that I can probably tell or just on the planet and it's completely new business model. So can you just explain a little bit about why you're doing this and, and what it is that you're doing to ensure that this product is ultimately as sustainable as it can be? The why is probably easier for me to answer in the how you can cover the yeah. why is because why on earth wouldn't we like it is our ambition to own a rum distillery and make rum in the uk because that's what russ and i want to do why should everyone listening now and everyone at home and you suffer with more climate change because of our ambition and i just could not believe that we could just set up a business that chucks out carbon dioxide contributes to global warming and that's okay. So along the way, Russ learned, and he'll explain why, how to be more sustainable. And knowing that, and knowing what's going on in the world, how could we not be a carbon negative company? Yeah, so essentially, my background, before we set up the distillery, I was a, a chemist. So a chemistry academic working in carbon capture, carbon storage, basically trying to turn CO2 into absolutely anything that had enough value to stop people chucking into the atmosphere. Um, and in doing so, you know, I met loads and loads of fantastic people who had great ideas, have great ideas on how to do something about uh, CO2 emissions and permanently remove it from the atmosphere. Particularly, I met um, Climeworks, who we partner with. So Climeworks are a Swiss-based uh, company. They have a plant that runs in Iceland. Um, it's a direct air capture plant and the technology they have will suck co2 straight out of the atmosphere it then goes through a second process um, by a company called carbfix and they turn that co2 it's mineralized uh, into stone and then it's permanently stored underground so i i saw their technology and was absolutely blown away um, that that was now possible on an industrial scale um, and we recognized that there was there was an, an opportunity to kind of combine the two things, right? That we want to make rum. We know there's an inherent problem with the emissions we're going to cause bringing the sugar across the world because it doesn't grow locally to us. Um, what are you going to do about that? So then becomes the option of using direct air capture to remove unavoidable emissions. But that is actually the critical part. Mm. Um, Climeworks is a really expensive way to suck CO2 out of the atmosphere, right? That's a really expensive thing to do. Uh, I put it in context usually by comparing the EU tariff, which is around 80, 90 euros a ton yeah. CO2. Uh, it's more like eight, 900 um, wow. euros a ton to, to suck it back out and mineralize it. But um, times effectively. Yeah, yeah. It's something like that. And it uh, wouldn't work if we just used Climeworks. If you just continue yeah. to do like daily business as usual and doing that with Climeworks, it becomes unprofitable very quickly. Yeah. Right? So so you have to look at reduction as the number one. The avoidance number one. is the key, right? First yeah. step is avoid absolutely everything you can. So steps we take here at the, the distillery are to uh, have an electric only distillery in yeah. contrast to most distilleries which are gas fired um we use a closed chiller circuit the all, all of that 
uh, run instead of using water. Most distilleries will just run water through their stills to cool it. But it, both of those run on 100% renewable energy, and and that reduces the emissions that we cause at the distillery a lot. Uh, dramatically and so all of those small decisions things like uh, electric vehicles charged on those renewables the partner with dpd to do our deliveries because they're carbon neutral and our packaging is carbon neutral and there's no plastic and all of these things start to increase the amount that you avoid and therefore bring down the bill um, that we have to pay to climate work because when it comes to how far we go yes if we were being less transparent we could just say right that's enough our footprint at the distillery we're using renewable energy to run our stills well done us that's it we could call ourselves sustainable but we there are co2 emissions around the world that are being caused because of two drifters so it's still mm. our responsibility to look after those carbon emissions as well until yeah. someone else does yeah. yes yeah so like the glass bottle the labels the sugar the sugar the yes, yeast everything, everything. And I, I love the why as well that you said right at the start, Gemma, because there needs to be more businesses that have got that view, because unfortunately, you know, they just don't have that view at present. It's not part of their business model. But you also touched on things that I wanted to ask questions about, which was one, the transparency. Anyone can go on your website and see absolutely everything you do, which is, like I said to you before, something that I love. But you're not just looking at carbon emissions of course you are but that's one of the main drivers but you're also looking at every single ingredient that goes into that product aren't you so can you talk a little bit more about that and what you i guess consider and every different kind of component and what you do with it mm. for instance our signature rum is aged in a french oak ex madeira cask and we only use those casks because we got them all over the distillery and it goes in there for at least a year a lot of rums are aged in bourbon and American oak and like Tennessee whiskey barrels, things like that. We chose not to do that because getting those casks have a, is a lot further away than Exeter than Madeira. So we use Madeira cask because the emissions of getting a Madeira cask to Exeter are a lot lower than getting American oak barrels from, um, from the US. So just that little added ingredient to our rum which is the cask just that we think about the carbon emissions and then we've got three other rums and every part of it we have to account for all the emissions that total up one bottle of rum and if at any process any way we can lower those emissions we will yeah. and does that does that fact because by the sounds of it and i know that it, it says this it's effectively you're placing a carbon tax on your mm -hmm. business aren't you because every single ton you emit you have to pay 800 to 900 dollars for yeah so i'm assuming that everything that you're doing it goes into your decision making you know? yeah it sits at the utter core of what two drifters is about right we always we always lead with the product first if we're ever talking in a business setting because you know it, all of this is nice it's nice to be sustainable uh, as a business but if if your product's rubbish it's never going to work is it so you have to focus on the product first underneath like the the, under the bonnet of what two, two drifts is all about it's just utterly at the core how we think in terms of sustainability when you put the focus on a financial penalty in a business you know the carbon tax you're talking about that is exactly what we try to achieve we're trying to show that a carbon tax has an immediate and dramatic effect on how a business approaches everything every decision then becomes 
okay, <laughs> we've absolutely got to bring this bill down and make this, it's just another cost of goods um, sold to us. So it, yeah. it sits there uh, in, in that part of our process and how we think about everything. Yeah. And a carbon tax is essentially what we do. We tax ourselves yeah. carbon, but the phrase carbon tax is quite a negative thing, isn't it? Mm. But what we're doing is really positive and it's yeah. not a chore to do all this. We're doing it because... No it's what we want to do and we think what everyone should do so yes we do tax ourselves carbon but it makes you work hard to avoid it yes and for instance i'm that's the bit, my marketing side of it i'm not going to pay to take an advert out in a glossy magazine that chops down trees and prints on using mm. for you to read about my sustainability work mm. because I've negated everything i've done here by printing in that paper so from a marketing point of view I have to think outside the box. I can't be doing billboard adverts. I can't mm. be doing magazine editorials because those are high carbon emitting yeah. ways to do it. So you've got to be smarter. You know, even there's emissions, of course, associated with any of your uh, any of your marketing activities. You've just got to acknowledge that and, and include it in the calculation. And if they're that important, they're that unavoidable emission. That's when Climeworks comes in, yeah. and we will take the hit and pay to remove it with Climeworks. Right. And so what do you do now then, you know, for a, from a marketing perspective? We know, I hear, I see a lot on, on LinkedIn, that advertising is feeding our greed for consumerism. So what have you, what approach have you taken to try and get your brand out there without doing the traditional marketing methods? Yes, that, and that's, having been, well, being a startup business, yeah. we don't have the budgets to do these, in, same marketing activations and that's kind of where we need to get uh, so we're up against big big yeah. big big players in that mm. so where we sit is against Havana three-year-olds or a Bacardi or you know those are huge companies with big old marketing budgets so if you want to make noise against them it's it, you've got to think differently mm. and we're in a lot of bars and restaurants who um yes they, they take our rums and it's brilliant but then they'll also come to us and go what POS point of sale do you have to give me like bar runners or parasols or glassware or bunting and mm. I can't fill these pubs up with all this stuff made from plastic in factories that don't consider their emissions because again that's negating what we do here so yes it's a challenge and it's just about educating but making it fun and colorful and vibrant which is what rum is so yes it's a, a constant mission and when i have many arguments with from people who want us to advertise with them and i can't yeah. um but yeah. it's a traditional industry of, of throwing plastic at a problem yeah where it's loads and loads of nice like bottle openers or uh whatever it is things that bar staff like to have um yeah those those are things we have to fight against and actually the next 12 months for us we see a big shift in how our marketing activities will be and we'll we'll have to kind of evolve with it because we've got to be a bit more of a bigger brand in mm. terms of what our activations look like but how can we do it with the lowest impact yeah yeah because you're you're targeting a industry that has been under a lot of pressure recently a lot of big organizations throughout the last three years if not longer yeah. been under a lot of economic pressure from a cost perspective because the hospitality industry has been re hit really hard mm. you're selling a premium product into an organization into a company that wants free things yeah yeah but you're selling it at a much well a higher price point let's say yeah. than traditional ones yeah 
that in itself for you is like David and Goliath almost is in the battle that you're deciding to take on. Are you are you seeing any organisations, these big ones, making a different decision based on your, I guess, your credibility, what you're doing from a sustainability space? Or is that still a huge challenge? Oh, that is our ongoing challenge. But mm. the power is in our credibility, which is a mm. sad thing to have to say that there are credible, sustainable brands and Not less credible one. ones. <laughs> the power of us is in our transparency and our credibility, which means when drinks industry are looking to have truly sustainable drinks menu, there's only one rum that can sit on those menus. Yeah, yeah. We hope there'll be loads following us but at the moment there is one rum that can definitely sit on those sustainable drinks menus and prove that they are not contributing to global warming yeah yeah and yes one of the big brands that we got this year uh, was british airways yeah yeah who took who took the view that they didn't mind paying a little bit more for the product um because obviously they can't do anything about their core activity mm -hmm. in terms of reducing their emissions that's a real challenge um in, in aviation so they are looking for any way they can possibly do with all their ancillary stuff um to, to reduce their impact and so we're a no-brainer choice there and, and how does that how does that sit with with you because i know we touched about this and that the whole growth mindset in in a world where we should be looking at avoidance and reduction and getting away from this consumerism kind of focus how does that sit with you as a company that's trying to do all this good and then providing products yeah. to an incredibly high polluting industry because if i ask you not to mm. go on holiday this year to not go take your family away on holiday to not get that plane no one's going to listen to me no one's going to do it i'm not going to make any difference to that industry because that's not my world the aviation mm. industry we can't do everything what i could do is make sure that the rum which is our world on that plane could be actually not contributing to global warming yeah so you're doing everything within your sphere of influence rather than with a, like an added bonus that um because we're essentially funding investment into direct air capture through using the technology right mm -hmm. at an early stage um there there is you know, there's plenty of research that's ongoing into sustainable aviation fuels derived yeah. from CO2 and water, turning that into kerosene. And essentially, we're at the very beginning parts of funding into that as well. So, yeah, but there's a knock on effect to all that we do. Um, but, you know, you have to kind of you can't fix the whole thing mm -hmm. from one small company in Devon. But, you know, you can try. And we account for our cradle to grave footprint. So we yeah. account for our carbon emissions on every single British yeah. Airways plane where our rum is. Yeah. So, yeah. so you have to make that decision as to, is this the right thing for us? Because if this is too highly carbon emitting for the product, then that's going to cost us a lot of money than maybe what it's even worth. Yeah. So yeah. I'm guessing you, you build that into it. And you know, just coming on to that, you know, the life cycle assessments that you do, mm -hmm. is that something that you do as a company internally or do you work with other organisations to help you do that? Uh, no, so I, I do the um, the life cycle assessments and then we have them subsequently third party verified. So we do those annually. We're always a year behind, so we should be just publishing in the next couple of weeks. We, <laughs> we always leave it to the wire, but should be publishing 2022's data um, in the next couple of weeks up, up on the website. So that but we appreciate that, that this is something 
that we're lucky to have that Russ knows how to do this. Not every organization mm. did it. So the first one took a year, over a year to write. It takes mm. So you're paying a consultancy to do that. For it, we get it. We are lucky to have Russ and his team to do it. But then, yeah, we do get it third party verified, don't we? Yeah, you have to have it checked. And that's basically no different to peer review in any situation, right? You, it's essential to have other eyes on it, um, if only just to pick up silly little um, rounding errors or something. But um, it's it's a massive, massive part. The, the, the life cycle assessment takes time, but that's why we publish it, actually, is, is to show almost a template of how you could approach it. And Yeah, and, and that's what I want to come on to, actually. I want to ask a little bit more about that. Uh, but I completely agree. I was always going to ask that about that third party verification. Everybody's done a lot of their own calculations. I work for a company and we help organizations measure their greenhouse gas emissions, mm -hmm. i.e. providing tools and guidance. And then we audit the data. Actually, we're an auditor and a verifier of those emissions to the ISO standard. And we notice a lot of organizations that we work with are under a lot of pressure to be third party verified or start measuring. And then next year, we want you to be verified by a credible organization so that they can give you that rubber stamp of approval. And that will only continue to increase. But looking at your life cycle assessments, just for people that are listening, because they will have heard of measuring their greenhouse gases, they will have heard of potentially heard of EPDs and the LCA that goes into it. But can you just explain what an LCA is for people listening? Yes. Uh, so a life cycle assessment, LCA, is thinking about a product's journey from the cradle, you know, where materials are with extracted from the ground, um, right the way through its production, uh, its use, and then to the grave. Um, so cradle to grave is, is grave is back into the land, uh, back into landfill or burnt and therefore in the atmosphere. Um, and everything that goes on in between in the life of a product. Mm. Different different products are good examples to understand the different phases. Manufacturing, like we do, you know, you have raw materials that come in, they're from the ground. And so obviously the sugar in our instance is, is processed into molasses, which comes into the distillery. So that has that's a production side. Um, and you have all the supply chain that goes on that getting the materials to you and all the emissions and effects that are, are caused by getting that there and the growing of the crops and so on but on to the use phase the easiest one to think about what a use phase is like is think of a car most of the damage that uh, a car causes in its life cycle a fossil fuel um, powered car it is in the running of the car a couple of mm. hundred thousand miles um, burning diesel is is most of the em emissions that cause so that that ends up being the use phase and then recycling comes into the, the the cradle bit so you get some credit back for recycling you get um yeah, yeah and then the rest of the emissions are how how you process the different parts whatever you're going to uh, recycle or combust or dispose of and and so you're saying cradle to grave so that's from start to the finish of what happens and if you got plans to go a bit more cradle to cradle with certain parts of your products so that they stay within the system have you got any ability to do that thinking about the, the bottle side of things yeah so um there is there is indeed um part of that it's very hard to achieve that a hundred percent yeah <laughs> um and there's always going to be that sort of challenge but uh yeah we um 
are in the process of partnering with a company called Eco Spirits. So oh. they have a bulk container system, which is essentially a glass package with an aluminium exterior to protect it. Um, and then that will ship maybe four and a half liters of product at a time to a bar who can then refill glass bottle containers instead of sending the equivalent number of bottles. Just like beer kegs, but yeah. for spirits. Exactly. Nice. It's quite a, a smart idea then. So yeah. Eco Spirits, have they been going a little while or? Yes, they've been big in uh, Asia and uh, Australia, and they're kind of moving across um, through Europe. They've been here for a while in the UK. The big issue is, again, from a marketing consumer point of view, is that with spirits, you can only buy with your eyes. So when you're at the back bar or in a shop, you're just looking at the bottle design and how pretty the labels are and everything. But when you do a bulk format like this, it's not going to be there. So you need the brand presence as well and everything we're going to do behind the scenes. So when they do see it not in the fancy bottle, it's still got to be eye catching and something you want to do and the story's got to be there. So, uh, yeah, it's not even though it's way more sustainable if we go there too early people won't buy us so then we get those containers back mm. um yeah. and that's that's what closes the loop in that instance and avoids the glass uh, bottle waste so continuously improving by the sounds of it to, oh, to be so much to do always yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's, there's nowhere near done yeah yeah <laughs> there's nothing and we'll solved. be 100 percent transparent what i like to say is that from a carbon point of view we are completely transparent we want to learn from others we want others to learn from us no one is in competition from a sustainability point of view great. where we compete is our rums our rums are so great and we work so hard on them and we the processes we employ here to make the best quality rum we possibly can that that's where we kind of won't tell everyone that's where we compete on a rum point of view yeah from a, what we do to stop polluting the planet point of view, we all shout from the rooftops. Yeah, copy, yeah. Copy. yeah, yeah, and just share as much as you can with people, hence the reason for doing this. But just looking at the quality side of things, when you make decisions you know, about quality, so for example, the cask, let's come back to that, what you said about not importing the, the cask and the bourbon cask and using the Madeira cask instead. Yeah how much difference does that have on the flavor or the quality of the rum yes big um because two of our rums have nowhere to hide like spiced rum you can add a lot of sugar and spice to kind of um mm. make it palatable whether it's our white rum and our signature rum it's just good rum and water um so yes the things you use like the casks have a lot of flavor um impact on them don't they yeah and we spent a while it's it's like it's it happened to work out very nicely for us in that Madeira. Yes, it's closer. French oak was um, the right choice because the flavor profile is good. But Madeira is really nice as a, as a um, liquid itself um, because it has a real orange quality to it. And that orange quality works really well with our rum profile. Yeah. So um, orange is a good citrus with the rum. So it's, yeah, it kind of, it was, it went hand in hand with, okay, this is a great tasting product as well as different from lots of other rums in the market and there's a sustainability benefit as well our most recent change from a sustainable point of view was our yeast we yeah. used to have yeast from france that went on quite a convoluted trip to get here 
Um, but that's the EU. Yeah, exactly. That's what we, and yeast is a big impact when it comes to fermenting mm. wraps. It, it has a big impact on flavour. Um, but it, when we did our LCA, it was quite a big hotspot, this path of yeast. Um, but just changing yeast really quickly, that would have a huge effect on our um, flavour of our rum. So we did uh, quite a bit of research on lowering carbon emissions, but also on flavour. We did a lot of test batches here until we finally found one that actually makes our rums even better and has lower footprint. Yeah. So it becomes part of like your, I guess, it's just the flavour profile that you're creating. It's just using the best tools to be able to create the flavour of rums that you want. Yeah. but as well they're incredibly sustainable alternatives yeah. that go alongside it and and just coming on to that when i work with companies about gathering data uh, gathering the data and the information on what you do in a business is often the hard bit so talking about going through the process of speaking with your supply chain to, to find where that yeast has traveled across the eu i imagine that to be quite challenging mm -hmm was like was it and you know how do you go about getting that information when a lot of times suppliers aren't willing to provide it no it's just mad isn't it they don't <laughs> want to tell you where stuff comes from <laughs> yeah you just keep asking basically um sometimes you get lucky because someone will drop it into a conversation without realizing you know that they're giving that information away but you just keep discussing it with as many people as possible um you you can do as much research you can ask the questions you can keep asking uh, all the different um depots where things come from well where did that come from sometimes it's as simple as just looking at all the stickers that are on your palette right right and seeing seeing the journey it's had um and that tells quite a nice story as well um that used to be the case for our glass bottles um when we got those from italy and they'd go to slovenia and across to france and then off to the uk and you'd be like wow, what a crazy journey right, they need to change right let's switch yeah. so we switched to a british glass supplier um it's getting better though brands is. and businesses are having to do more about the more their investors yeah. are demanding that they have uh you know sustainability at the core of their activities and you know they have good esg forms for you to fill in the more you're able to ask the question and they've they've answered it for someone else or mm. for any better and so the information is sometimes more readily available and it's less likely or, or less often we see or hear people saying no, we can't give you that information. And we are a premium product and we are B Corp. So our yeah. people we partner with and the people kind of we buy from yeah. are similar to us as well. So therefore they kind of have a... You yeah. choose a supplier based on that. Yeah. You answered my next question, which I was going to say, I can imagine customers and we've touched on the larger organisations you'd be targeting, the the big the, the chains or the, the restaurants or the bars. You've got your consumers which will love the story and then as we've discussed the quality will still need to prevail but do you find upstream so your upstream suppliers are they more willing to work with you because they know what you're doing and you're there downstream or is that bit not kind of been flushed through yet yes we are getting noisier i think yeah. it's which circles we're in in a run world we're quite noisy yeah. Now in a direct air capture, we're getting noisier, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, yes, we we haven't found anyone that, we can be quite difficult when it comes to traceability, um, but if they're not willing to work with us, we kind of... Yeah, then it, they usually have bought into it anyway, and so they want to improve. But usually you're talking to someone within the organisation who wants to improve that organisation. Yeah. Therefore, they come from the mindset 
let's use these guys to make us better <laughs> and i can yeah. use them as leverage to change a decision makers uh, mindset over here so yeah often we we find people are very accommodating or they really don't care in which case we weren't the right choice no. anyway so yeah and it's quite funny on recently how many websites of our kind of suppliers we go on to and we're there as kind of mm. our photos are there as we work them. with these guys we're proud <laughs> yeah. to work with drifters yeah yeah and it, it helps your product obviously it looks great as well is that done is that you Gemma is that in-house that you've done it or have you got people that you work with as well that want to work with other good organizations yeah yeah so that's we never used to look this good uh, when we set up the business we didn't have the budget to kind of get an agency to make it look good so it was very Russ and I wasn't we were so focused on making the rum as good as it could be yeah um what's in the bottle is more important to us than what's outside the bottle but not that's true when it comes to selling not it. true to consumers <laughs> yes yeah. very much so so we worked for a few years we just focused on making the rum as good as it can be and then we're like right now we need it to look as good as it can be because it's so hot like it's just rubbish when you buy some amazing product looks fantastic and then it just tastes awful yeah. like, we don't want to do that um so we then worked with a sales a design agency in london and they had two targets they had me who wanted it to make look at impact colorful fun vibrancy provenance quality and they had a long way from pirates basically. yeah a long way from pirates. <laughs> and then they had rum who went every aspect that you do has a lower it. footprint than what we have yeah. <laughs> so they had two I, people I said, yeah give me let's build in bake in the sustainability to the design basically how can we do that and they they did they nailed it um, yeah amazing yeah. and did they put do you put in you know do you consider their time into part of the life cycle assessment even though it's like i guess fixed yeah i mean it's a fixed it's a fixed thing you put that into your greenhouse gas inventory actually if you're being specific yeah. so you you take that out of the epd wouldn't be part of the product but it goes into yeah the company the service that you're buying as a product yeah. or service exactly Exactly part of that. the organization that's how, that's the mindset but they even worked out where our closest label printer was so getting our labels from dorset's a lot better from us than getting from yorkshire even though yorkshire might have been a few pence cheaper per label the co2, the impact, CO2 impact means that we need to go with the closest one yeah. yes well i am in yorkshire and i know how far away you are from from me so i absolutely appreciate that <laughs> now just before we wrap up it's it's really interesting and honestly anybody listening to this i would urge to go and look at your website because it has all the information on there not just about the product but about the cork that you use as well like the is it the labels from sugar paper sugar cane fiber yeah sugar cane fiber so everything and you can see all this and you've got all your EPDs and your assessment and everything and then yeah it's just really fascinating you can spend a lot of time navigating around your site and seeing what you're doing and for any small business I guess it's really inspiring to see that organizations are taking this approach where they're penalizing themselves taxing themselves because they want to be the best that they can be mm -hmm. now there'll be organizations that will be listening to this that will be thinking right that's fascinating how do I do it okay and you're willing to share so what would you recommend you can have the same view you can have different views but each one of you just say what would you recommend a company do if they were trying to be better from a sustainability prospect um, angle should i say 
who wants to go first? I know what the first thing is um, that any business should do, and that is the measure. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you cannot do a thing until you know what the impact is. Um, and I know the difficulty there is the cost usually or the time or both, but yeah. that is that is the first hurdle. And once you've done that, actually it becomes a lot easier because so much comes out of that information that you just stuff automatically to go, oh my gosh, that is a huge impact. We can easily change that for this and we need yeah. to do something else. And rather, rather than you know, looking at doing life cycle assessments, because we know that they're even more time consuming, you're talking about the measurement of the organization's emissions, aren't you? Russell? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I'd stick to just looking at the, the greenhouse gas inventory, that exact organizational uh, impact, and, and just consider that rather than worrying about the products. Because, I mean, you could be a manufacturer that makes thousands of different products. Mm. Um, you know, that's that's a huge undertaking to do LCAs for all of that. But if you look at what the impact is of the business, it, it'll tell you a lot, a lot more. Thank you. And Gemma? Uh, mine would be, and a big thing that um, we do is, is carbon emissions. And I think it gets lost because they're invisible and people just don't really think about the carbon side of anything, whereas they think about plastic waste and all these other things that you can visually see. So you can see the plastic piling up outside. You can see your single use plastic you have in the office. We always say if CO2 had a color, imagine where it would come from. Like your laptop would be seeping it, your phone would be seeping it, everything would be seeping carbon emissions. You'd change pretty quickly if you did that. And that's it. And it's just like, right, well, hang on. If that's seeping this purple mist, I'll just turn it off. Or I'll do something different. Or I'll find a way where it doesn't produce this purple mm -hmm. mist. And it's just kind of people are so don't know where to start with being more sustainable that it's just very simple easy things that you could do straight away if you just kind of focused your mind on it yeah so understanding it by the sounds of it is is the first step and you two sound like you really do understand it so i'm sure if there's anybody that is listening to this that is interested i've no doubt you'd be willing to speak with them or help them if they, they have got any questions absolutely definitely any questions yeah yes and like, and like you said Gemma sustainability shouldn't be a competitive advantage it will help a few people in the businesses in the early stages whilst they're in a market where no one else is doing it as long as the quality is right and the price point is there or thereabouts yeah. uh, we know that sustainability does help but that will be short-lived as more and more organizations do this and especially when there's organizations like yourselves that are, are really willing to shout about this from the rooftops so i just want to thank you for your time today i really appreciate you taking the time out it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and uh, i'm looking forward to picking up myself a bottle of rum over christmas <laughs> uh, thanks for having us it's been a pleasure absolute pleasure yeah we will uh yeah talk till the cows come home about rum and sustainability so uh yeah anyone please get in touch thank you very much i hope you enjoyed that podcast it's really interesting speaking to Russ and Gemma. They've got a lot of knowledge on the topic. They love rum. They're really passionate about creating a really high quality rum that has minimal footprint on the environment. What they're trying to provide is other organizations with an understanding of what they can do, which is why they're so open about how they do it. And if you actually look on their website, you'll see how much information they have. They put all of their EPDs on. They talk about what they're trying to achieve and how they're trying to achieve it. 
And at every stage, they almost have an answer for why they're doing it, which is incredible. I always find that organizations can't be caught out greenwashing if they are transparent and honest about what they're doing. And Russ and Gemma are exactly that. And if you're into rum, I would check it out. I actually haven't tried it. It is something that I have been meaning to do. I know that they have cozy clubs or they supply cozy club and there is one in Harrogate. I just need to get myself there but as soon as I am I have no doubt that I will be sitting back relaxing and enjoying myself a rum. So Gemma and Russ also advised that they'd be open to speaking with people so if you have questions about what they're doing, who they're working with, how they're doing, what they're doing so get in touch with them. They're on LinkedIn, they're on other social medias. Their rum looks amazing. I'm sure it tastes amazing. And if you're a director running a business that's struggling with what to do or how to do it, then Russ and Gemma are the people to speak with. So get in touch. And if I don't hear from you, then I hope you listen next time. Thanks, bye-bye.